Whose side are you on? It's the question that perhaps haunts our dreams. You think of the playground nightmare at primary school, secondary school. We'll have him, we'll have her, you come and be on our side. But the question tonight, and it's a question that the Bible frequently asks its readers, whose side are you on? How do we answer the question? What do we need to consider in order to answer the question, whose side are we on? Well, when we see who's in charge, that helps. When we see who the captain is, that helps. When we see who's got the authority, that helps. And often when we see who the winning team is, happened just a few minutes ago with the Chelsea Man United game, it was on in the background and I asked Tommy and Corabel, who are you supporting? Tommy had a shrewd look at the scores and he noticed that Chelsea were winning 2-0. He's, Daddy, what colour are Chelsea? Oh, they're blue. Oh, supporting the Blues. I'm supporting the Blues, said Chelsea. Who's the winning team? Tonight we're going to see who's winning and then we're going to watch a complete turnaround, a complete reversal of who the winning team is. Is. Think where we've come from so far. It's been the edge of our seats. It's a gripping story. Many, many twists and turns. There are cultural nuances we'll never really be able to appreciate. Historical controls that we won't be able to see, fully fathom. There are some controversies. Commentators disagree on the actions and motives of Esther and Mordecai. Example that I read in preparation for this. Some applaud the discretion and wisdom of Mordecai to keep Esther's nationality secret. Some commentators deplore the cowardice and compliance. They should have been up front straight away, say some commentators. And you see, we've come to this point in the story. And who knows, says Mordecai to Esther, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And Esther's final words, I will go, and if I perish, I perish. Christopher Ashe, in his, biography, in his commentary, he says this, the pretty, passive, and as far as we can see, superficial young woman begins to turn to activity and initiative. And Matthew Henry on the other side, another commentator, he says, with courage and resolution that befits a queen, she goes. Quite a difference in the interpretation of Esther, how she has been up to now in the story. But behind all of that and behind our speculation of Esther and Mordecai's motives and background, we are meant to see that God is working behind the scenes. For that is undisputable. It's the providential hand of God in all things and now the story slows down with dramatic effect we've had nine years chapter 1 verse 3 the third year of the reign of king xerxes chapter 2 verse 16 it's the seventh year when esther is taken to be the queen of xerxes 
Chapter 3, verse 7, it's the 12th year when they rolled the dice for the execution date for the Jews. It's been nine years from the start of the book to now, and the story slows down. It slows right down. It's like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You read the book, seen the movie. Fast, fast, fast. Who's going to get the golden ticket? Who is it? And we see the five that have got them. And then one's false. And we see Charlie walking down the snowy street and he sees a 50 pence piece. Now in that day, got him two chocolate bars, didn't it? Something like that. So he went, rushed in, ripped one open. Bang. Yum, 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 yum. I'll have another. And he opens it. And the camera stops, slows right down. We start to see Charlie's expression as he tears the paper and he sees the gold flash. Slow, slow, slow. Fast, fast, fast. Slowed right down. See what the author's done? Selective events over a slow nine years. And now chapters five and eight, the pace quickens in this 48-hour period. So he slows it right down. And now we see in, what have we got? Four chapters. The pace quickens in a 48-hour period. But we've got one slide tonight, the PowerPoint slide. What we're going to do is we're going to go through uh, the story. Uh, and look, it's been said, hasn't it? Dissecting a story, it, it's like, it's like tearing a nightingale apart to find its song. You get that? Uh, we're not going to dissect the story uh, to try and uh, work out exactly what's happening. We've got the thrust of the story, and it's wonderful. Here's what we're going to look at. And I'm going to ask you just to look as we go through the story. I'm going to look, ask you to look for three key things. Three key things that I think are worth looking out for. And they're not our three points, but they're three things that are worth looking out for uh, throughout this story. Here's the first one. A cosmic spiritual battle is raging. The winning team starts losing. We've read it, which brings about a complete turnaround of events. Look out for that. Second thing, the result of a heart that is consumed with self. Look out for that. And third, a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus. Look out for that, to be sure. Okay, so let's attack this story. We're not going to dissect it in every single verse we can't. They're going to be sweeps of what's going on, but hopefully helpful uh, as we look at this together. Remember last week? We left it on a cliff edge. I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. Verse one, and then we come. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. It's a massive moment of the story. The silence, the anxious wait. In the inner court of the palace, 
just in front of the king's hall. As the king sits on his throne, facing the entrance, a death sentence awaits Esther. We looked at that last week. She could be put to death. No one comes into the king's presence except by invitation. No one, not even the queen. What do we see? He's pleased with her. And of course, she's come with a reason. Of course, she doesn't enter the king's presence if she does not have a reason. And the king asks her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. For the first time, the king calls her Queen Esther. And for a further 13 times now, he relates to her in this way. In this moment, something has changed. There's a change in the way that he addresses his wife, Queen Esther. And he says, I'll give you more than you can think of. That's what he means when he says, I'll give you half the kingdom. He doesn't literally mean half is yours, half is mine. No, no, he's the king. What he means is, I will give you more than you can think of or imagine. He was so pleased with her. Now it's Esther's turn. Come on, Esther. This is it. See her reply. I want you and Haman to come to a banquet today. That's her reply. And so they go. Haman and King Xerxes. And at the banquet, King Xerxes approaches Esther again. What is your petition? I want you and Haman to come to a banquet tomorrow and we're left here and we're scratching our head a little bit saying Esther you've got the favor of the king and he's asked I'll give you whatever you want and that means more than you can ever imagine Esther do it what is Queen Esther doing she has the king's attention his special approval to be alive answer him quick Esther while he's in such a good mood but you see, the tables are starting to turn. You see, Esther's calling the shots. And in a moment of complete and wonderful providence by God, Esther's controlling the shots. What is she doing? Look, she's wise and she's shrewd. That's for sure. She's drawing Haman in. She needs to win over the approval of the king, who will then dictate the movement of Haman. She's shrewd and wise, but it's only through the providential wisdom of God who gives us such grace to concoct such a plan. It's a wonderful story. Look at the villain, Haman. If we did not dislike Haman before, we are meant to despise him after this. Netflix, whilst in lockdown, we watched a bit of Poldark. Maybe some of you have watched Poldark. War leggings. I mean, if you've watched Poldark, you're meant to hate him. You really dislike him. He is such a snider. This is the picture that we've got of Haman. Look, he went out that day happy and in high spirits. See there in verse 9, he's absolutely buzzing. 
absolutely delighted, but something spoils it. Something just, a fly in the ointment. He sees Mordecai, who doesn't rise and he doesn't bow, and so they're in a raging mess. But with restraint, he goes home and he brags. <laughs> we meant to really dislike him. And it's not that we should, we just do. See what he brags about? He gets his wife, says, come here, my dear, calls his friends, and he brags to his wife and friends about his vast wealth, about his number of sons, as though his wife doesn't know that, and about his high position. And that's not all he says. I'm the only one invited to the Queen's banquet tomorrow. I've had one today. And I'm the only one alongside the king who's going tomorrow. But he's still got Mordecai with a thorn in his side. Mordecai is the thorn in Haman's side. Zeresh and his friends strike while the iron is hot. Come on, Haman, you must do this now. Verse 14, his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching a height of 50 cubits that's 75 feet high it's a pole for all to be seen they want everyone to see the death of Mordecai now go to the king and enjoy yourself you concocted this plan go to him in the morning go to the king see him and ask for his death and he's buzzing see this the suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up there he is, war leggings and pulled off. He's rubbing his hands. He cannot wait. And you see such a big deal. You see such a, a big amount of Haman's heart at this moment. And we sneer and we boo and we hiss. Like he's the pantomime villain we, we meant to. But stop there for a moment. And let me ask you if you see yourself in Haman at all. See what he's doing? He lives for the praise of men. He boasts and he name drops. He's weak and he's shallow. Just like me. I think that's the frightening thing about Haman. For I love the praise of men. For I boast and I name drop times and I know when I'm doing it. He's surface level. Just like me, and perhaps, and potentially at times, just like you. So before we just snigger and sneer and boo and hiss, there's something in there for us. Meanwhile, chapter six, the king cannot sleep. Why? No reason. There's nothing troubling the king at this moment in time. His queen has pleased him enormously. And here we see the wonderful providence of God again. Providence of God, his, he moves. His hidden hand is moving throughout the story. Why can't the king sleep? There's nothing there that we read. But he can't sleep because God has ordained it. And he's ordained it that the king would at this moment in time, because he can't sleep, say, Bring me the book of the Chronicles. Bring me the book of the record of the greatness of me, the things that I've done. And at this point, they read out Mordecai. And they read out what Mordecai did. 
in uncovering the plan to assassinate the king. And he remembers Mordecai. And so he thinks, what is to be done to honour Mordecai? I need some help to make a decision, even like this. Who's in the court? I need help. Someone shouts down, ah, Haman, he's just entered. Now, Haman's feeling smug, isn't he? He cannot wait. He's going straight to the king, for he's got a plan. He's arrived to tell the king about his execution plan for his nemesis, Mordecai. And the king's like, Shh, no, no, Haman, listen, come and help me. I need some help. Come and tell me what should be done for the man the king delights to honour. Oh, life cannot get any better for Haman. Oh, I'll tell you what, king, because he's thinking there's no one. Is there anyone else in the whole provinces? The 127. No, no, he must be thinking about me. I've been to the banquet. I'm going to the banquet today. He must be thinking about me. Huh, I'll tell you what, give him a royal robe. One that's already been worn by you, the king. Um, let him ride on the royal horse, one that's already been ridden by the king, with a royal crest on. And then let him be led by a noble prince to show how high he has been lifted up. And the king says, top idea, Haman. Go at once, the king commanded Haman, verse 10 of chapter 6. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you've suggested. For Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have recommended. This is a jaw-dropping moment. This is it, the turning point. And he does it. He does it. Mordecai returns to the king's gate, having been on the procession, on the king's horse, led by Haman. You can imagine his face. Where does Haman go? He returns home, mourning for himself. Mordecai mourns for God's people. Haman mourns for himself. And then his advisors and Zeresh, they say, well, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. Do you know what? You're surely going to come to ruin. You're going to come to ruin, Haman. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. Look, it's all clicked for the wife, Zeresh, and for the advisors. The God of the Bible is going to win. Mordecai's coming out on top of this match. Haman is going to come to ruin. As soon as they finish their sentence, Haman's whisked away. Off he goes to the second of the Queen's banquet. What a turnaround of events. So the banquet, what can it be? And so here's the Queen's speech. Look, verse three, your majesty, if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. King Xerxes asks Queen Esther, who is he? Who is this man? Where is the man who dared to do such a thing? And Esther says, an adversary and an enemy. 
this vile Haman. It's coming, collapsing down around Haman. The king rages. He storms outside. And Haman's caught in that moment. What do I do? Do I follow the king? In which case I'll be killed because the king's not requesting my presence. What do I do? And so he grovels at the feet of Queen Esther. He sees Esther. He's the, she's the girl who's calling the shots. And he begs for his life. And in desperation, the king returns and finds him in a compromising position, leaning over the queen, as the commentators suggest. He's beside himself. He doesn't know what to do. He's begging. And therefore, he's taken away. Face covered, which is the same as our handcuffs. Take him to the pole he made for Mordecai. And there he was impaled. The same day, Esther is given the estate of Haman and Mordecai has been given the signet ring of the king. Here it is, 48 hours. It's a wild roller coaster of events. And so we come up to breathe. <laughs> All I've tried to do is just to give a bit of colour, not that God's word needs colour, but just to bring aspects out as we try and understand the story, the mad story, the story that no one can write unless it's ordained by an upper hand. No one can write this story, but it's not the end of the story. Still nothing has been done to undo the decree of the king to annihilate God's people. That comes later that comes next week back to the slide i asked you to just check out three things follow me on the story but look out for three things do you remember those three things that we looked at a cosmic spiritual battle is raging the winning team starts losing which brings about a complete turnaround of events you see what's going on behind the scenes reminds us of a verse in Ephesians for our struggle it's not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms you see throughout history the winning team is the enemy until God intervenes at the cross at the cross where the Lord Jesus is crucified you see who the winning team is? It looks as though the winning team is the devil. And death has struck until the third day. Now remember that detail back at the beginning of chapter 5. On the third day, perhaps there's some correlation there. Perhaps there is. Matthew Henry, the commentator, says this, when Satan put it into the heart to contrive Mordecai's death, God put it into the heart of the king to contrive Mordecai's honour. See what's going on? A cosmic spiritual battle is raging. And we just get the story. And I think it's good for us at Town Church to remember that. Do you know when the enemy seems to be winning? When he's got the upper hand? It's not forever. Perhaps you felt like that on lockdown. It's not forever. The question stands, whose side are you on? The winning team at the moment, as it looks like. We look at the world and see the state that it's in. We think there's only one winner. 
The question remains, whose side are you on? And the second thing, the result of a heart that is consumed with self. We stopped here, we pondered it for a little moment, but let me ask you again. We'll ask the question, uh, for those of us uh, on Zoom, we'll ask it a little bit later. How does the heart of Haman show you something of the darkness and desires of your own heart? That's a good question that I've been pondering over these last few days. Of course, Haman's heart is a grim picture of where a heart that is consumed with self ends up. And it's a bitter and nasty ending. It's a picture of a heart that has not been transformed to love Jesus. And so the call is, I think, to check our hearts today, to say sorry to the one who forgives. And have you seen the foreshadowing of the work of Jesus? How have we seen that in these few chapters? We mentioned it last week that Esther has been the mediator, the go-between between the king who has decreed the judgment over God's people. The go-between between the, the king who's decreed the judgment and God's people. And we've seen Mordecai, the righteous man, he's been honoured and exalted to his rightful place. See, the Lord Jesus is one who mediates, comes between the judgment and God's people to divert, to divert the wrath of God. And we see the Lord Jesus is the righteous man who is raised, exalted uh, and, and honoured. It's a foreshadowing. It's nothing more. It's a foreshadowing. It points to Jesus. Remember last week that every story of the Bible whispers his name. We're meant to ask in every story, where is Jesus here? Where does it point us to the ultimate? It's a foreshadow, nothing more. But you see the real thing is the glorious pinnacle of the providential rescue plan of God through his son, the Lord Jesus. You see, may we tonight just see this a little bit more clearly. May we, by looking at this story, glory and marvel in Christ, who is the go-between for all people for all time. Christ who is the righteous man, who has been taken and honoured and exalted to his rightful place, would we see the Lord Jesus and would we glory and marvel in Christ this evening? We're going to sing um, such a song uh, that helps us see the Lord Jesus and helps us nail our colours to the mask, helps us do that again. Um, and it might be, as you're listening that even tonight, as you've read this story and, and you've heard this story of Esther, tonight you might be saying, well, whose side am I on? On the side that looks as though it's winning or on the side who will ultimately win? It might be tonight that you turn to the Lord Jesus uh, in repentance and faith. Let's sing this song uh, together and enjoy glorying and marvelling the Lord Jesus Christ.